Podcasts from the Cat. Voices and sounds from Crew and Nantwich. That was uh, Pretty Shining People by George Ezra, and it introduces our guest today, Jennifer Howell of Howell Griffiths Estate Planning Solicitors. Jennifer, are you there? I am here, Des. Hello, nice to to speak to you. Excellent. Excellent. We're really pleased you could join us today. And uh, I know we've got a lot to talk about and not a great deal of time as usual. So so let's crack on. Um, you're estate planning solicitors. So tell us a little about what an estate planning solicitor does. Okay, so an why, estate why planning might, solicitor, in other words, why might a customer need you? We are quite pervasive in what we deal with, and estate planning can cover a whole range of topics such as will preparation, asset protection, lasting powers of attorney. It can even come down to um, tax planning, inheritance tax, and mental capacity issues as well. So dealing with vulnerable people, vulnerable beneficiaries. So they're all very interesting areas and very much of the moment. So um, if we're talking about wills between, let's say, for instance, married couples uh, and for that matter, unmarried couples, tell us about the implications of, of not having a will in place. It's a different circumstance for married or unmarried couples, as you would probably expect. With married couples, the intestacy rules would apply if there is no will in place. And the intestacy rules stipulate that if there are children belonging to the deceased, not necessarily to the marriage, but if there are children, then the surviving spouse will only inherit up to £270,000 as a lump sum from the deceased's estate and their personal belongings. So you can imagine with the house prices as they are, £270,000 may not equal even a half share of an owned property. If the married couples own any assets as joint tenants rather than tenants in common, and the word tenants there is archaic, it does refer to ownership, then the surviving spouse is likely to inherit the joint property as well. But that's not always the case. And sometimes we come across married couples who have properties in their sole name. And in that instance, it's not guaranteed the surviving spouse will walk away with the family home. So you talked about tenants in common there, and uh, that's a term I've heard used, but I wouldn't know what it meant. Okay. So joint ownership is where if one of the joint owners dies, the survivor inherits the property. Absolutely. There's no question. It doesn't pass under the will. Tenants in common, and that's more common between second marriages or people who have undertaken some form of tax planning, that's where they own a a defined share of the property, usually about a half share, and they gift their half share under the terms of their will. And if if, if they're without a will, then their half share passes under the intestacy rules. And again, if there are children either of the marriage or from a previous relationship, the surviving spouse can end up owning their property alongside the child or children, whether or not they're minors, whether or not they're adults. So it gets very complicated. So I can see that it would become really complicated. So so a will would overcome all those problems? Yes, it would. The, the, The benefit of a will is that you can 
better tax plan. You can factor in other tax relief, such as business property relief, agricultural property relief. You can plan to protect assets from the survivor's future care, possible remarriage, divorce, bankruptcy. You can pass certain foreign assets under a, a UK will now. You can provide for the vulnerable or disabled persons within the family and you can prevent the survivor effectively from disinheriting uh, the deceased chosen beneficiaries in future. So I see. Uh, and what, what about, um, because it's, it, it, is, it is a real issue at the moment, um, it, it, with elderly people owning, so you've got an elderly couple that, um, that own their own property, and um, and the estate wants to liquidate that if um, if there is care involved. So so yeah. how does is a will important in that respect? It very definitely is. Yeah, um, you can't circumvent care fees. Uh, there's such a, a rule as the deprivation of assets rule, but that's if you're trying to prevent the survivor from using the estate to pay for care. There are certain trust and provisions that we can put in place in a will which enables the survivor to have better long-term planning using the combined estate. So if if the surviving spouse needed care and ran out of money at the point where they were in care, the local authority become the funder and they would potentially move that surviving spouse to a more cost-efficient care home. If we use a will to better plan and provide the survivor with a longer chance of being self-funding, there's less chance for the survivor to run out of money in future and be at risk of a move. So it's, it's hugely important in that respect then. And, um, and, and obviously the children are older then and uh, presumably they get more involved and that would take us on to, the, to this lasting power of attorney. So if you can just explain... Uh, what that means in in um, layman's terms. Absolutely, yeah. So there are a couple of types of lasting powers of attorney. There are two for your personal affairs and there's one for business affairs. So for personal affairs, which is most pertinent, there's the finance power of attorney and the health power of attorney. And it's crucial to point out that there is no such definition of the term next of kin in law. So even with spouses, if one spouse lost capacity... The other spouse wouldn't be able to make health decisions for them simply because they are married. You have to have a power of attorney document in place. And even if you had joint assets together, if one joint owner of a bank account lost capacity, the, the capable owner cannot just go along and access the funds in that joint account. It would be frozen by the bank. So a power of attorney is very, very important to ensure if something happened to a person's capacity today, there is somebody appointed to make decisions for them within the hour, effectively. As long as the document is in place and registered with the uh, appropriate reg- regulatory body, then their attorneys can make decisions for them as soon as they need to. That's really interesting. I, now, I wasn't aware of that. So, so I've... I've... A bank account can be frozen by the bank. So, how would that be unlocked? But so that the um, the the surviving um, or, or the the other partner can survive financially. 
it's a long-winded process. It's an application to the Court of Protection called a deputy ship application. A deputy is a very similar appointment to an attorney, but they are appointed by the court rather than chosen by the incapable person themselves. So it could be anyone. It could even be a local authority that applies for deputy ship if no one else is um, acting proactively. Uh, a deputy ship appointment can take anything between 12 and 18 months just to get the first order through to access finances. Again, if somebody's in, in care at that time, you're dependent on the care home being very, very sympathetic to not being paid in that space of time. Um, and there is no no real similar deputy ship application for health decisions. It's very rare the court will appoint a health deputy. So it's mainly just finances that you can access using that route. And again, it's not it's not the best route to go down because under a power of attorney, of course, the donor chooses who they think would be an appropriate person to act for them. That's not the case with a deputy ship appointment. Ah, right. So it, it is absolutely critical that people do this. To, uh, it is, and just stop, going back... To stop yeah, bank accounts being frozen. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the bank accounts, the finance decisions, there is at least the route to the deputy ship and the court of protection. But with health decisions, without a power of attorney in place, it's the doctors, the nurses, the local authority, the social workers that make decisions for that person. And whilst they would, of course, always act in their best interest, if there's conflict with the family, things could get very upsetting. Absolutely. So... Uh, talk us through how uh, so, so one, of, one of our listeners may well be listening, thinking, I need to do this. Talk us through what, what needs to happen next. They need to make contact with a solicitor that refers to themselves as a private client solicitor. That's very similar to how I address myself as an estate planning solicitor. And it's a pretty easy process to get wills and powers of attorney in place. The powers of attorney in particular... It might take about six months to get it registered through the uh, regulatory body. But as long as there's no in immediate need for anybody to be acting under it straight away, that delay shouldn't cause any problems. If somebody has a diagnosis such as dementia, it's not necessarily too late to be putting your estate planning in place. There just needs to be extra steps to ensure that person understands exactly what it is they're signing. But wills in particular... They are more straightforward to put in place during your lifetime than to risk having to deal with intestacy and family fallouts at a later date. And one point with regard to unmarried couples is that there's no legal definition of a common law spouse. The law says if you wanted to marry them, if you wanted to benefit somebody under your will, you would marry them without a will in place. The surviving partner doesn't even have access to that £270,000 lump sum I mentioned before. So Goodness. wills for partners are even more important. So so uh, you would naturally encourage all those unmarried couples in the area to, um, to do something about that. So tell us what's involved in creating a will. There would be a first appointment. Well, initially, there would be a telephone call to arrange the first appointment. A first appointment usually takes between 45 minutes and an hour to go through the estate in full 
the solicitor should be asking for details of all the assets in the estate, whether there are any business assets, whether there's any um, tax planning that needs to be added into the um, the consideration of the estate as a whole. Um, once you've had that initial discussion, you should then receive either a summary of advice from the solicitor or it can go straight to the draft of the will if everybody settles on which direction they want to go. I would usually I would usually expect clients to come to me with no real idea of what they want as a final will. Yeah. Because my job is to advise on the options based on the information that I gather from the clients at that first meeting. So my next step then would be to put the options to them in writing. It's always easier to see these things in black and white. Have another follow-up discussion with them, maybe to iron out any concerns they might have, and then move forward to drafting the will and meeting with them to sign. So all in all, as long as everybody responds quite quickly, preparation of a will doesn't really take more than a few weeks. And and is absolutely critical in, in ensuring that, that both partners, particularly if they're unmarried, uh, that there is an equitable way of, of resolving issues financial issues if if they decide to split up or if one of them is sick for some reason or another. Absolutely right, Des, and that's one thing that I always say to married couples is there are more provisions that we can add to the estate than just gifting assets outright to the surviving partner because presumably if the deceased has got children from another marriage, they do want to benefit the partner during their lifetime. They don't want them to be homeless. But ultimately, they want to ring fence that inheritance so that their children can walk away with what they brought to that partnership in the first place. And within those provisions, within those provisions, we have guidance that says if I'm no longer with my partner at that time or if we've had children of our own, if um, if she's predeceased or if she's gone into care home care, then I would like these following steps to be taken for the benefit of my children instead. And that can all be provided for. A well-planned will can provide for a, a great deal of longevity. Okay, so um, I think we'll have probably uncovered quite a bit of information there that is critical to um, to married couples, unmarried couples, and and particularly elderly people in regard to lasting powers of attorney. Uh, of attorney. So. How do people get in touch with you, Jennifer, if they want to discuss about anything that we've spoken about this morning? Um, They can contact me via my website, which is howellgriffiths.co.uk. They can contact me by email, which is info at howellgriffiths.co.uk. Or my office landline is 01606 212291. And I tend to be more than happy having an initial chat with somebody to find out if there's anything I can do and then provide a cost estimate based on what we've decided we'll go ahead with. So and, and is again, there a charge for that, that initial chat? No, not at all. Because I can't assess what I need to do for somebody until I've had that conversation. So I work in a very holistic and very ethical way. Um, okay. And, yeah, always happy to chat. Fantastic. Well, I knew we'd uncover some uh, little gems and I hope we've um, clarified some points. And uh, we do thank you for joining us this morning, uh, Jennifer. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Go to listen.thisisthecat.com for more podcasts and more ways to listen.